0: It's a funny time of the year. There's only two more games left for the Browns, and we're playing Washington next. I'm here with Jack Duffin and Ian
2: Wright. Jack, do you have a good Christmas? Yeah, no, it's a nice Christmas. Managed to get ill, but hey, you, you just roll with it. So uh, recovering. Um, I don't know what made me more sick—the the flu or cold or whatever I caught, or uh, Jack Honkins' extension, or the way the Browns played in their last game. But yeah. Um, Other than anything Browns related, had a really nice time.
1: Ian, how are you, pal? I'm good. I'm good. I was uh, spent a few days in Ohio with the family. Made it back. Uh, Nobody took me up on my offer for me to go to the Browns game for fourteen hundred dollars. So that was that was unique. I was really thinking somebody was going to pay me to go to that game. Glad they didn't actually. But yeah, so I'm back here in Chicago. It went from negative 20 to 50 degrees in the course of, you know, one week. So who doesn't typically have 70 degree swings in the course of seven days?
0: And where were you in Ohio?
1: Back home, Lorraine, Ohio, about 20, about 20, 25 miles west of Cleveland where I grew up. And then uh, we spent a little bit of time in Western PA with the uh, with the White family.
0: And how cold was it, mate? Because it, it made uh, international news. It's on the news every day over here in the
1: UK. Was it that cold? Yeah, so it was ironic because we actually got messages from our UK uh, family members because it, it talked about evacuating near Lake Erie. So when we were coming in, the, we came in the day before Christmas Eve. So we came in on the, it would have been the Thursday, which Friday actually. Uh, yeah, we came in on the Thursday. Christmas Eve was on the Saturday. So there was a storm in Chicago that was coming through on Thursday. So we got out of town with the storm behind us, that storm brought about four to six inches of snow in Chicago and actually changed the temperature about 40 degrees in the course of about an hour. So it went from about 45 to five degrees in the course of about an hour. And then on Friday, it hit Ohio negative 20 degrees. I mean, the winds were up to a 60, 70 mile or gusts the snow was blowing sideways. That's where that big pileup was on the turnpike. That was about 30 miles west of where we were from. I think it was like 100 cars or something like that. And that's actually on the turnpike is how we get from Chicago to my home or my hometown. So we actually drive right by that point. But yeah, it was pretty crazy in the sense that it was very cold. It was very windy. So that's what the, I think the ambient temperature was like 8, 9, 10 degrees. But the wind chill was like 930 minus 40 at sometimes.
0: Well, hopefully we haven't lost any listeners due to uh, any deaths. But um, I just want to say, yeah, wrap up warm in Ohio, and hopefully, uh, when I'm over there next, it'll be nice and warm.
1: Yeah, yeah. And here we are today; it's back up to fifty. So there you go. How's uh how's things now that the World Cup has died down? Three Lions didn't make it, but uh, is everybody kind of back to normal over there in London? Yeah, everyone's back to normal. We're you have a good, good boxing day.
0: Well, we had a lovely box today. Thanks, mate. Um, a lot of local sport. You guys miss out on No Boxing Day. Um, so
1: we actually do a Boxing Day celebration within our family, but just saying. Oh,
0: you're so international. But anyway, we are not a Boxing Day nor a weather podcast. We are a Cleveland Browns podcast. And there's been a lot of news. One of Jack's favorite
2: people, Paul Podesta. What's he been saying, Jack? Paul Podesta just just been oh, dropping dear. the truth. And the, the thing is, he's not even actually said anything. And I, God knows where Grossi got it from. It was, it was probably some uh, thing he was chatting to a mirror and uh, pulled out of thin air. There, there was no sense to it. It was the ramblings of uh, one Tony Grossi, Um And we've gone from Tony Grossi, um, I think was the one that complained the most in the press conference, Paul D. Podestas in Cali, he doesn't do anything. And now we've gone the other way where he is calling plays, he's scouting players, interfering in every aspect of the organization. It's just, uh, it's, it's hilarious. Um, I think a comedy uh, would probably be the right word. It,
1: it, it really is because you have this odd thing. So obviously we know the Browns season in essence is over, right? They're out of the playoffs. They're not playing anything. So now you're going to get these hit pieces. You're going to get the little jabs at Joe Woods at pre when they're going to get fired, the offensive side and who's calling plays. Well, why don't you just let Alex Van Pelt call the plays for the last two days? Right. So everybody's going to want to get their pound of flesh in their article. And to be fair, I do not pay for the land on demand. So I did read this secondhand. But for those that are wondering what we're talking about, Tony Grossi, Browns beat reporter wrote for the land on demand that the situation with Paul De Podesta remains confusing. And he talked to a person that formerly worked for the Browns. And I was waiting for like the, the point of the article, but it kind of never really came. It talked about how the Browns focus on explosive plays and they value 13 to 17 yard pass plays over two to four yard runs, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners are very math oriented but two to four yard runs versus 13 to 17 yard play pass plays. I'm, I'm failing to see the point. Now, are there conditions where you may have to run the ball 30 times because you have the weather like you did on Saturday? Yes. However, I think when we watched that game, there was a few passing plays to be made. The receivers just didn't make them. So I understand that like in some situations, you may need to run the ball more, but Jack, Help me understand, like, what was, what was your takeaway from the article? Like, like what was the point of it? So I I think there's a good point to jump back
2: to something Joe Thomas said before. We all love Joe Thomas, um, friend of the show, um, drinking buddy of none other than Paul Brown. Um, he was asked about yards per carry, um, in an interview. And it's actually writer, Daryl writer. That's got the tweet. Um, I, Quote tweeted it yesterday, I think. Um, So if you find the timeline, it's all there. Effectively, he was explaining to journos who get really, really excited about yards per carry. Hey, you got four yards per carry. Woo! Touchdown every drive. And he was saying, well, what you actually need to look at is rushing efficiency. Because if you were every single play rushing for four yards, no team would ever pass the ball. You'd be nuts to. You'd run every single play and you'd go for it. But you don't get that. you get flags you get all sorts of issues arise where hey if you go one 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 and then you get 20 yards you don't just average it out and go hey it's a first down um it doesn't work that way you've already punted so joe thomas's point is you need to make sure that you're hitting rushing efficiency and stuff like that and people look at a four yard rush and they think hey this is sustainable well it's only sustainable if you can do that Every single time, else you're going to be punting or more more drives than you're not. So, why is aiming to pass more important? Well, if you're going to pass and you get down the the field in five successful plays rather than twenty, that is dramatically quicker. It moves, and also you need to look at flags. Where are you most likely to get a flag when you're running the ball? Is for holding. So it's against the offense. Where are you most likely to get a flag if you're passing the ball? Well, it's quite often in pass interference where what happens, oh, you go 20-odd yards down the field. So the game is designed through the NFL rule committee to pass more. You have to pass more. And I think it's probably worth touching on the whole um, Jimmy Haslam nonsense with the Air Raid stuff. Jimmy Haslam probably just thinks Air Raid is passing the ball more. The Browns are going to pass the ball more. They have sucked since the buy at running the ball. Blame who you want for that. Time to put the ball in the air
1: and win some championships. Absolutely. And to add a little context to this, so when Haslam's talking about the air raid, some unnamed source said that he was talking about how much he liked it because of Tennessee, right? If the air raid was like this most successful offense in the world, you think you'd be run more in the NFL than it is. Derivations of the air raid have been run in terms of the 70-30 passing. I get it. But look what happens when you have like Miami, right? Everybody's talking about Miami, Miami. They've got 28 to 40 yard pass plays and interceptions, right? So there has to be a little bit of a balance from chucking the ball downfield to all pro receivers all the time and having some sort of a systematic offense. But where I think that a lot of people struggle, and I was having a conversation uh, online with a couple of the guys in the Browns Facebook chat, Lee Stevenson, a few of these guys, and I'll do my best to explain what Paul Podesta does. Like for all of the 1990s out there, kindergarten cop, who is Paul Podesta, and what does he do? And I'm in a unique like space to talk about this a little bit. So my background is in systems engineering. So my degree from Ohio state is in integrated systems engineering. Systems engineering is when you have a management type of philosophy where you look at how to design, integrate, manage all the different systems and put them collectively as one that's the idea is how do i get the civils and the electricals and the mechanicals how do i get all these engineers on the same page well paul de podesta is like the c-suite position for what my degree would be he just does it in sports so the uniqueness is a lot of these manufacturing companies food processing automotive they all have chief strategy officers or you know, whatever you want to call. And there's some different names, but their job is specific to their industry. So Paul D. Podesta is an expert in his industry, which is athletics, entertainment management, so to say, right? So his job is to sit down with a very small core of people. And Jack, I would say that, you know, in designing the guardrails, we're talking about Haslam, the GM. So in this case, Andrew Barry, likely the coach, Kevin Stefanski, Maybe Ken Kovash because of the, the s- salaries and stuff. So yep. we're talking Haslam, Barry, Stefanski, Kovash, and probably maybe one more, but that's about it. So that group of people look at something and say, okay, drafting, how are we going to draft? How are we going to scout? How are we going to coach? There are collective processes within every single one of those facets. And D Podesta's job is to standardize. So in the world of engineering, it's called the 5S method, right? Or lean manufacturing. In this case, it's a lean strategy. And what the idea is, is I want everybody on the same page. So automotive came up with this concept way back when Toyota, Honda, a few of the other ones. So 5S basically says, we want to make sure that everybody within our organization is on the same page. So the S's stand for sort, straighten, shine, standardize, sustain. So in essence, sorting it is how do we organize this into the right buckets? How do we straighten? How do we keep our delineations in parallel? So how do I make sure that there's no confusion what department crosses over? They, You know, siloing, so to say. Shine, how do we make things more efficient? How do we brighten them? How do we clean them? Standardize. how do we make sure that everybody in that chain knows exactly what's going on and sustain how do we make sure that what we're doing can then sustain a coaching change a linebacker coach change a new running back stuff like that so that's in essence the, the overall philosophy of what Paul DeP- Bepedes B- B- does his job is to communicate the strategies that that small group of people put on paper so when Haslam tries to defend like to detour from that and say, Well, I would want... no, 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 no. This is what we agreed on. This is what we're going to stick to because everybody in the organization needs to be on the same page in the pregame or in their pressers. We talk about vision, we talk about, you know, accountability, we talk about, you know, sustainability, we talk about sequencing. These are all of the processes that everybody in the organization needs to adhere to. And DBS's job is to make sure that it's organized and that. Everybody within that ladder knows what their role is to the organization and how it helps. So why are you data analyst important to this process? Well, your job is to do X, X carries the Y, Y goes into the game plan for Z. Well, how does this apply to football? From what I understand on Monday, the analytics team, so this is Dee Podesta's team, meets with Kevin Stefanski and I believe Joe Woods and Alex Van Pelt. So you have the OC, the DC, and the head coach. They meet with the analytics team. The analytics team, and I believe this is Monday morning on a day where the players are off. The analytics team will present, in this case, we'll talk about the commanders. Here are the tendencies of the commanders. This is when they generally blitz. These are the runs that they run. So they, they use film and they present the analytics to the team they're playing. The coaches then take that information and carry it out to the positional coaches. Later in the day, this is when they start putting the game plan together. This is when we start putting third down packages on offense, right? If we know that Washington is in base 75% of the time when a team is in a red zone, this is the type of information that Kevin Stefanski needs when formulating the game plan. Jack, does any of this sound like ludicrous? Or the summary is they're giving the coaching staff more useful data.
2: Yeah, it's, it's that revolutionary stuff that is in remembering the Titans from God knows how many years ago. It's, uh, it's that that cutting edge. And look, this is the basic problem. If, uh, Pete Smith makes the great point for me on this. Just anytime you want to have a conversation about analytics, just drop the word analytics and use the word information. And then just repeat back to me. Analytics has no place in our organization. Information has no place in our organization. That's the same thing you're saying, but just because it's a word that people don't quite get, just put put the factual word on that. It's information. When you go to draft a guy, you need information. Well, what height he is, and do players of that height and speed and size do well? Well, that's analytics. You can't just watch the tape and go, this guy's really good, or he's actually playing D3 in the UK, in some like backwater against tiny people, well, that's all a factor. That if someone's in D one, well, that that's analytics you're actually using there to go. Oh, the the guys that come out of Ohio State and the top programs, oh, they're generally better. Data analytics. So lots of people they get angry about all this stupid stuff, but luckily our listeners, they they're not Cape, and um, there might be a few of them who got Rogan in here, but they're generally pretty intelligent people. So uh, I think we can give them the benefit of the doubt.
1: Absolutely. And that's what I, I try to tell people all the time when they're like, you're an engineer engineers, not noun; it's a verb, right? It's how you think. So we, how many times do we hear people say we need a fast receiver. We need somebody to take the top off the defense. We need explosive, right? Your biggest knock was on Jarvis Landry was he's not explosive. We need this. Well, there's a process for what you went through. I want guys that are fast. I want guys that can catch. I want guys that can run certain routes. So, Deep Post sitting there going, all right, guys, I don't scout wide receivers. So the idea is, yes, he's in meetings, but his job is to prevent or present structure, not looking at Jalen Hyatt out of Tennessee versus Cedric Tillman versus Josh Downs versus Quinton Johnson, right? That's not what he does. His job is to say, when we scout wide receivers, we need to know their height. We need to know their RAS score. And I'm making this up. I don't know what his actual parameters are. I want to know his speed. I want to know how many routes he ran in college. So somebody will sit there and say, Jalen Hyatt, the Blitnikoff, ran 37% of his routes were on deep posts. 12% were on comebacks. You know, 8% were on nine routes. You know, this is the type of information they have. So when they sit down with him and they say, hey, Jalen, you know, we're really looking at for a wide receiver to stretch the top. 37% of your routes were on deep posts. Is that the route you're most comfortable running? You can understand how this information, and I love that, Jack. Let's take analytics out and just use the word information. You can see how valuable this information is. But to the idea that Depot's sitting there with Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski going, you know, Wyatt Teller's footwork on this one was a little bit off. No, that, that's not what he does. He doesn't have time for that because he has to look across an entire organization to say, does everybody understand what's going on? So once the game weeks end, now we turn to draft, we turn to scouting. Kevin Stefanski needs to know that, hey, there's a success rate of 66.7% when you go for it on fourth and one running this type of player, whatever it is, right? That's the information that they have. If we're going through the scouting process, every scout needs to scout the same way. Because when you get to that meeting in April and you're looking at receivers and my Southwest scout versus my Northwest scout by Midwest and Southeast all did it different. Well, then how the hell am I supposed to figure out how to aggregate that information? You can't. So he needs to make sure that the guy in the Southeast and the Northwest and all these guys are scouting the same way. So when they sit down at the table and they're comparing Jordan Addison at USC versus, you know, Josh Downs at North Carolina, that they're evaluating them using the same parameters. This is the most basic philosophy that every company in America, in the UK, in all countries use because that's how you standardize something so the idea that paul d podesta is telling kevin stavansky when to go for it on fourth and two by telling him to run a kareem hunt dive play is mind-bogglingly wrong he's saying on fourth and two your percentage chances are this if you throw the ball it's this if you run the ball it's this how many times jack i know you're a big fan when you're watching the football game and they give you that the win percentage, right? If they go for it on fourth down and they get it, the win percentage jumps. That's, that's what he standardizes.
2: Yeah. and There's going to be the decision still comes down to coaching staff because you need to use a gut call. If you know that your centers pulled a hammy or something, and he's literally out there on one leg, you're not going to go for a QB sneak. um, If that's like the last play to end the game, because he might not really be able to move very much. So It comes down to that sort of stuff, but it's it's just that basic information because if you're asking Kevin Stefanski to make a really important call, well, you want to know um, what's going on and there's going to be times where he'll know in his gut. Um, And yeah, they're going to keep researching stuff, finding the cutting edge um, and continuing to move forward. So yeah, and um, one other thing, people moan about, oh, it's the analytics and the data in the scouting. PFF was not high on Jordan Phillips was not high on Anthony Schwartz. If we look at some of these things, the data in the scouting isn't necessarily that. Probably a big factor might be the coaching staff and people wanting particular players. Could even be Joe Woods going, oh, I really want this guy. Um, And it's also luck of the draw. Hey, two picks earlier, suddenly... uh, Two picks, it would have been... uh, Rondell Moore. No, it was the guy out, uh, the Schwartz pick would have been the guy out who went to Texas, uh, Nico Collins. Um, oh, yeah. yep. And and with drafting, the other luck thing I love, people credit Dorsey because he drafted Patrick Mahomes. If the KC don't trade up that time and the Browns don't trade up in a previous draft, the quarterback John Dorsey really wanted was actually Johnny Manziel. They had planned to take him and the Browns traded up over them. And then we put the foot, sure on the other foot. If... um. If Mahomes was there, the Browns were picking him, according to Ben Albright. So KC jumped up and traded um, up for it. So these things happen. Um, You just got roll
1: with it. Every every time, right? Guardrails, right down your alley, Jack. Jack Conklin, right? So there was a set of processes. There was a set. This is where Ken Kovash, right? He comes in and says, listen, this is our set of processes sequencing. The final details on the uh, Jack Conklin deal just came out. Do they fit within the Browns guardrails? Yeah, it's
2: always two years and uh, get out. Which I think it's the, so, the guardrail standard. So, is,
1: would you say that there is a standardized process to how they're doing these contracts? Oh yeah, basically
2: the final year of every deal has a uh, the APY of the actual deal um, in cash. Um, there, there's lots of similarities the whole way they work because, as she said, it's all standardized.
1: Yeah, and. Paul, I know that in terms of the football stuff, you you spend a little less time and all this, but does that make sense to you? You're, you have a more of a corporate America brain. Like, do you see that same type of standardization in your day-to-day life? In what aspect? In the sense of like what I would call lean or, you know, a standardized method, right? So you run your own video production company. Is there certain things that are, we'll call it non-negotiables, a certain way you go about dealing with a client from the intro to presenting the final product? Yeah. Um, bizarrely,
0: Lean Six Sigma, I used to, pl- to headhunt people in that space. So uh, I do understand a little bit about the methodologies regarding that. But yeah, um there is some non-negotiables. We do X before we do Y in our business. Without X, we will never do Y. So yeah, there is, there is some... Um, guardrails rails within our business and we have done it before without doing these steps and it's burnt us so um yeah um from my side i fully get what they're doing within i, f- I fully get what uh, paul Podesta does i just i just feel that um like what does andrew berry do if paul is doing everything
1: well berry's job is to manage the actual team right the GM his job is to sit down at that meeting and say I want to scout linebackers right so Jack's favorite position running backs to linebackers I want my linebacker by the way Jack Reggie Ragland steps in and pulls a 90 grade just saying Jason Tarver and Joe Woods have some sort of magic formula for linebackers that they just plug these guys in and they're just shooting out 90 PFF grades so Barry's job. So Depot and them say, all right, this is the way we're gonna like structure scouting linebackers. I want to know their speed, their strength, blah, blah, blah. Barry's job is to go out and find the players that he wants using the guardrails, so to say, that he created. Like Depot's not sitting there telling him what to scout with linebackers. Barry's saying that. Depot is making sure that everybody on the coaching staff knows what Joe Woods, what Andrew Barry, what Kevin Stavansky want. So they work side by side, hand in hand. It's kind of like a really, really smart administrative assistant, right? Their job is to keep the CEOs of each department on, on track, in line. That's kind of in essence what it is. So Barry is the one that has to make all the football decisions. Do I want to, do I want to keep Conklin? No? Okay. Well, then he goes. Well, now we got a right tackle film. Here was the plan we put for right tackles. Barry, go find that guy. So that's, that's what really you kind of see. Jack, what were the final details on that Conklin deal? Sorry, I didn't mean to go off so for a minute. we spoke
2: about a 31 um, million guaranteed. Um, it effectively seems like it's actually 30 million guaranteed. Um, who knows? There could have been 1 million short of incentives that he wasn't making in the last deal that they've now guaranteed us. Who knows? There's always weird little stuff going on. But effectively, 30 million for the first two years. And then the the third and fourth year are just 15 million team options. They can walk away, get out of the deal by either trading or cutting him. Um, so it all can be dealt with fine there. Um, looking more into the way they've structured the numbers, they were already on the hook for 6 million next year of dead cap if you just went and played for another team. So I think part of the thought process was, and it's very much the all-in sort move, of just for the 2023 salary cap, this cost them an extra about two million to have Jack Conklin on the team. But as with everything, all of that noise is just continually backloaded um, and you push the problem down the line. And hey, I think we sit here and we come to is he going to be a top eight right tackle each of the next two years? And does he play, does he miss two or less games? If that's the case, so be it. Um it's it's a good extension. Um, if he's top four, then hey, it's phenomenal expen- extension.
1: Gotcha. So the bar is kind of that top ten, really. Okay. We we talked about this a little bit, Paul. I'm curious to get your take because we've now seen a few games of Deshaun Watson, and we'll stick to focusing on the the on field stuff. Right, so we won't go down that. Deshaun Watson, to be fair, has not looked great in the first four games. Has he made good throws? Yes. Going into next season, what do you need to see from Deshaun Watson to justify three first-round picks, the money they gave him? Like, are you going to look at mainly in how many games does the team win? How many touchdown passes? Like, what are you saying that Deshaun Watson needs to do next year to justify, you know, being the quarterback that the Browns think he's gonna be?
0: Um I I just feel like we're all in, so it doesn't really matter to answer that question. But um I feel like we've gone all in on this on this one player. I was never a huge fan of the trade. I thought it was too much for someone. But uh I understand that we can't just be an average team, we've got to go for these you know, big players to try and win a Super Bowl. So, and hopefully we do get to a Super Bowl with Watson. But for me, next year, we've got to get to playoffs
1: without a question of doubt. So the bar for you is they got to make the playoffs.
0: Yeah. Um, And and I think that also uh, Kevin Stavansky as well. I think if no playoffs, um, Stavansky's got to be reviewed and the front office has got to be reviewed because it's a ballsy decision. um, Losing three first-round picks for a player. You've gone all in on all guaranteed wages. Yeah, so for me, uh, got to see playoffs next year.
1: So, Jack, I'm curious to Paul's thing about evaluating. So Stefanski's coming into, this is his third year of his contract, a five-year deal. So if you sack him or Barry next year, going into their fourth year, they'd have one year left in the deal, but you'd also be hiring a GM that's coming into a team with no first round pick. So. I, th- I think you can
2: hire with one year. You couldn't do it this off season because with two years of no picks, someone wouldn't want to do that. Um, but when you've, you've, it's only one year of not, it's okay. Um, I, I think Paul's right. It's very much the bar is getting to the playoffs next year. If not, then, hey, you're talking about serious changes. If Watson is stinking it up to the level Russ Wilson is, then, uh, hey, that's a whole other difficult debate we need to get to. I don't expect it to get anywhere near that level. Um, I think he's going to be perfectly fine. I think top eight, um, according to like PFF, and then playoffs, hey, that that's the bar for Deshaun Watson. And um, I, I think everything hits it. Um, if, if we had slightly better play and the defense wasn't sucking there's no reason to think why we wouldn't be successful and if you remember all the bad years of the Cleveland browns you only need one or two things to go wrong and the season blew up so much stuff has underperformed this year and we're like this is really disappointing the three weeks from the end of the season without out of the playoffs we used to be out of the playoffs in maybe about week eight
1: about week one <laughs> generally about week one we kind of do yeah and and when I actually was having conversations and, you know, back home talking to a lot of people that are Brown season ticket, holder, I think the, the frustration this season, and you guys probably feel this as much as anybody is you look at each game, the jets game, the chargers game, right? The saints game. Um, you know, the, the first, um, we, I know we won the first Steelers game, but like you look at some of these games and you're like, how did we lose these games? It wasn't that the Browns got beat, right? In New England, they got beat. They lost the games doing stupid shit. And now here you are at the end of the season. Like the Browns, despite all of this stuff, should have three extra wins. So instead of sitting here right now at six and nine, they should be nine and six. Barely. With anything changing, it's not like we're adding another player, right? Even with the shit edge room in it we have and the shit de tackle room we've had and all the coverage busts, this team should be nine and six. They should be brassette Watson, it doesn't matter. Like I think we overvaluated the talent on the team, but in the same sense, this team should be two or three games better, and that is the most frustrating thing. And I think that's why you're getting these hit pieces and all this other stuff because when you look at the season, as of right now, with two games left, there's just so many missed opportunities. The, the problem is, and we could be here
0: all day long talking about the Cleveland Browns missed opportunities, but it is what it is, mate. And, um, you know, it sums up, you know, we didn't take our chances. Look at the Jets game, for example. That was a game we should have won, and we didn't. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think we've got to move on. I think we've got to... Um, Start looking forward to the next season, and um yeah,
1: back Watson, and yeah, see what happens with the Cleveland Browns. Do, Paul, do you think fans are going to take kindly to? So the Browns historically have never paid a quarterback top tier money, right? So we've spent all of our money on wideouts, running backs, linebackers, to you know Jack's favorite people, cornerback, safeties. Well, now with having Watson at forty odd million dollars, all of those premium players are going to be fewer and far between, right? So last podcast, Jack mentioned, you know, the possibility of trading, you know, a Wyatt Teller or somebody like that. Well, the reason for that is because money's going to become a lot tighter. So we're going to need production from rookies and unproven guys. You know, one of the things that we're talking about this season with Watson is, well, he's having trouble. He hasn't got the timing right, right? Well, he better get used to that. Because the roster turnover is going to be f- more frequent than before, and we're going to be bringing in veterans, so they're going to have to pick up timing quickly, or he's going to have to rely on a second round, a third round pick quickly. So do you think Browns fans are ready for that? Because it's going to be a completely different looking team almost every year for the next four years.
0: Yeah, I think, um, you know, we knew that we were, this is what we were, we knew the situation, you know, we've gone all, like I said, we've gone all in on Watson and now it's, it's, it's pay time, you know, like Watson has to, has to, um, deliver or, and serious people need to get sacked because they've made big calls and you're backing in the Sean Watson knowing what cap you've got available, signing this guy, losing them first round draft picks, you know,
1: it, it it's going to be tough. I, I think it is. I think it is going to be tough. And we saw it. How long ago there was these, these videos come out right on the Browns fans in the muni lot. We talk about all the other controversy, the gross, hit pieces. Like when I said it was going to be tough to be a Browns fan, I meant it. And this is the type of stuff we're going to have to endure as a fan base and stop being so reactionary. In our other chats, I said personally from Watson outside of the team, for me, I'm looking for minimum of 10 wins. Um, I'd like to see a four to one touchdown to interception ratio. So this is the bar I'm going to set. Four to one touchdown to interception ratio, 4,000 total yards passing and rushing, and at least a 65% completion rate. So those are the, the individual parameters that I would set for successful play. But going into these last two games of the season, we know that they don't mean anything. Right. But it is a good opportunity to see maybe some guys, you know, could we possibly see maybe a few more carries from Jerome Ford, you know, or something like that. What are you looking forward to the last two games, commanders and Steelers? And mind you, we have not beaten the Steelers twice in a season since 1988. So that last game has a little bit of meaning to the fans.
0: Yeah. I'm going to be honest. There's still a lot to play for. I don't want to finish fourth in the division. I don't I don't want to play the Broncos next year I want to play against the uh uh Vegas right. Raiders in Las Vegas so um yeah I'm all I'm all going for this third position in the in the division so uh I think there's a lot to play for but yeah it would be nice to see some of these
2: um fringe players getting a run out Jack i think? With Paul, exactly that that is the number one priority because uh, I'm out in California that area next year, and uh, if there's a place I want to go, it's that game. So, uh, I I, I would have loved the Chargers, but um, we're not going to finish in the same spot as them now. Um, Enjoy them, so right? That's uh, that's that's a dead dream, but I can have Vegas, and there is no way I'm off to uh, Colorado, so um, that won't happen, but I all the noise is they're not going to rest starters. I would be resting some. Um, I, just go out and win two more games. Um, that would be a nice statement. Continue to see some signs from uh, Watson. Um, I think there's been some nice stuff. I don't want to see too much rushing from him. I know he can run the ball. It's not that complicated. The last thing I want is a nine-month injury from my quarterback for trying to like win some poxy game that doesn't mean anything. Um so yeah let's just throw it around um i i I do want to get some of these guys in and see what they're doing i I would just be running kareem hunt and uh ford and just seeing what you've got just to try and boost hunt's value and then to uh develop uh, ford
1: jack are you looking for more four yard runs or 13 yard pass plays just for the record i
2: I just want to kneel three times on the first drive because hey if you've got like a 99% win probability and then it's it's guaranteed, right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I, I think that if I'm looking across the board to both your points, I want to see the O-line play because I think Watson and that O-line need to figure each other out. You can tell there's still a little bit of uncertainty on the edges with Wills. There was a couple of times where Wills was letting around people on the outside and that's where Watson was. And he'd look at him like, wait, what are you doing up here? Like, why aren't you up there? Um, so I would like to see the O line and the wide receivers. The running backs is the one where I don't want to see Nick Chubb with 20 carries. Sorry for all you stat geeks out there. I don't need to see Nick Chubb carry the ball 20 times. If you want to give him eight to 10 and 10 to 12 for Hunt and five to six for Ford, I'm all for that. By the way, I like Ford in the return game. By the way, I, I, I will say that was a decent find at this point, but defensively, I'd like to maybe see. Some rotations, I know it. Greedy's as good as gone, so I don't really see the value in playing him. But I'd like to see Emerson maybe matched up on some of their top uh, receivers, even though we're playing Washington and Pittsburgh. So there's a little bit of a false uh, uh, hypocritical, what's the word I'm looking for, where he, it doesn't really exist because they don't have one. You know what, put Emerson on Pickens in the last game. I'll do that. But, you know, the linebacker play, D tackles, maybe put Togi a little bit in there. Alex Wright, Isaiah Thomas. Let's let some of these guys get in there and just see what they got. Because as we've said, we don't have a first round pick the next two years. So we're going to have to start filling out, figuring out which of these young guys can show up. And again, we saw a flash from Isaiah Thomas earlier in the year, and it hasn't been there since. Let's see if we can maybe get him back, see another flash. He's a seventh round pick not expecting dominance from them, but it would be nice to see. But offensively, I would like to see Watson with the first-string O-line and the first-string wide receivers because I think both Cooper and DPJ will be back next year, which would mean that all the reps that they can get in a game, especially against Pittsburgh and Washington, who have pretty decent defenses, are all valuable. Uh,
0: Jack, what's your score prediction going to be against Washington?
2: Um... I'll let you go first. I'm going to have a look at the betting line because I haven't really even thought about this game. I forgot oh. it was even on.
1: What? <laughs> well, you're not going to. You're too busy studying the uh, the Titans and the Cowboys this week, or for tonight. Uh, no, way, I'm not doing it. Over/under is twenty, and Commanders are minus two. There's your betting line. 14.
2: I'm going to say twenty-one seventeen to the Browns.
1: Ooh. Let's let's have it. Why not? Now here's a question, Jack. If Taylor Heineke was playing and not Carson Wentz, what's your score prediction then?
2: I, I, I've I've got some faith in uh, Wentz. He was good last year. Um, so
1: do you think that Stefanski called Ron Rivera and said, "Start Wentz because I need my defensive EPA to go up"? <laughs> well, hey, take anything you can get. Over under two turnovers for Wentz in the uh, Washington offense.
2: I'm going to say under. I think they'll back down a lot, but they don't tend to uh, catch them RDBs.
1: Paul, what's your guess? 28-27 to the Browns. Paul's putting some points on the board. Um, looking at this offense, here's my one disclaimer. The Browns have not scored in more than one offensive touchdown in any of the games that Deshaun Watson has played, which could be problematic. I'm going to say... Browns 20, I'm going to do uh, – I'm going to give him the two touchdowns. Browns 20, Washington 16. So I'm going to – I think – I I just don't see a ton of points in this one. Washington's going to do a good job of stifling the run. they got a defensive line that's pretty solid. So I'm going to go Browns 20, Washington 16. One other thing I want to bring up, guys,
0: is the championship of – the podcast
2: in fancy football
1: dun, dun, dun. So, yeah, two games going off
2: so teach our americans we, we've got a division 1 and division uh, 2 there's promotion relegation it all goes off over here so we'll start with division 2 it's myself versus mike who's been on the podcast a couple of times um back in the early days so uh i would say good luck mike that'll be a lie i'm hoping to beat you um and then it's, it's well, the, the only, only reason you're
1: playing Mike. The only reason you're playing Mike is because he squeaked by me last week in the semis, because for some unknown reason, the Detroit lions traded TJ Hawkinson to the Minnesota damn Vikings. And TJ Hawkinson took me out behind the woodshed and walloped me for, I believe 36 points, which was more than I think his entire team or something. Hey, disgusting. Oh, I like that trade. Thank you. Kwezi. Disgusting! I got beat by, Hawkinson and
2: Brock Purdy. <laughs> and then in Division One, going for the title, we've got the Swedish Browns. See, another country They're coming out of everywhere, and none other than our own Mr. Paul Brown. So, uh exciting one there. Yes.
1: Paul, championship.
0: championship. Jack did message me at the time, said I drafted well, wow. didn't you, Jack?
1: Yeah. Huh? Yeah, that that the stuff. Tony Pollard pick has basically carried him at this point. So between Josh Allen and Tony Pollard, you uh you were riding high.
0: Yeah, so uh, looking forward to the uh, last game of the season and hopefully bringing a victory home for the podcast.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So battle in that league. Basically, we have Justin Herbert versus Josh Allen. So Josh Allen going up against the Bengals. Justin Herbert going up against the Rams. Man, that's gonna right now the projections are at 163 to 161, so that's gonna be a tight one. And even in Division Two, uh, the projections are pretty close, as Jack's at 168 and Mike Brown's UK is at 164. So it's gonna be Um, tight bum cheeks.
0: Just so, um, I know this is a whole podcast, we could talk about this, but there's some big names that uh could potentially be the last game for the Cleveland Browns. Um, you've got um, Michael Dunn may never play again. Um, Pop Pollock, if I said that right, the centre. Pochett. Oh, Dearness, John- Dearness Johnson. AJ Green. Yeah, there's, really?
2: like I said, there's going to be some. AJ Green will on. be back just because even though he's a free agent, he's an exclusive rights free agent. So they, they will return him.
0: And then you've got some of the big calls like Jacoby Brisket, you know can we afford to keep him at five and a half million? You know, it's a
2: a big yeah. question. Just run through the free agents that I see no real chance of them coming back. Dion Jones, Kareem Hunt, Jacoby Brissett, Chris Hubbard, Greedy Williams, Ronnie Harrison, Stephen Weatherly, Jesse James, uh, Chase Winovich. I don't see coming back. And that's it. The rest are who are free agents, they, there's some chance they've come back. Uh, but they're the ones that I would say this is it for them with the Browns in this off season, they could come back in the
1: future. And John Johnson's probably the only vested vet that they're going to, is there any other ones that you can think of off the top of your head? That they're going to no one
2: else. Of? I'm worried about being on the bubble um, as a bigger a vet. veteran. Uh, he's already a free agent, so he's going um, there's some other guys. Oh, Joaquin Grant, I expect to be gone this off season um, as a cut. Um, and then the rest are like your cheaper guys, uh, Schwartz, yeah. et cetera. I expect those guys to go into camp and then be on the bubble and pushed out in August rather than January and February. The Ernest Johnson? I think, I think there's a chance he comes back. I, I like him.
1: Yeah. I mean, he you saved a year on him. You didn't put anywhere in tearing the tires. They kept him around for a reason, right? What they pay him, $2 bucks this year?
2: Uh, So it 1. was 1. 1. 1.3 1. because 2. he had the like 2.3 – um, RFA tag and then they guaranteed half and then made the other half incentives.
1: There you go. So not a bad year for uh, for Mr. Dearness, that's for sure. Like I said, the roster is going to move. I mean, we know it's going to move and you're going to have to start finding value pieces and you're going to have to start getting production from guys that you just don't expect it, right? So the guys like Harrison Bryant, you're these guys are going to have to step up. And play because you can't fill every hole on this roster with some high price free agent, which is what we've always kind of wanted to do. You're gonna have to stress value. So, you know, Dearness Johnson on the entire season has four rushing attempts, they have a good one. So, uh, 17 yards. So, his, hey, his yards per carry was 4.3, Jack 4.3. Woo! Super Bowl! All
0: right, guys, I need to shoot off. So, uh, I look forward to seeing you all on new year's day to discuss how we beat the washington hey i'll be here i'll be here with bells on. why not and then then i go out to america to vegas and i'll be watching the, the browns versus the steelers in vegas consumer electronic
1: show here comes Bob.
2: Yellow brown enjoy it
1: go browns go browns